Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. This time we listen to a few stories from a World War II P-47 fighter pilot as he recounts times from during the war and some of his experiences afterwards. It began almost before I started going to school. My aspirations at that young and tender age in life were to be not just a pilot, but a fighter pilot. And so it was, but it didn't come easy. Like many people in World War II who also had these aspirations, we were called up after Pearl Harbor at one time or other, introduced into the old Army Air Corps where we were immediately soldiers, and we went through typical basic training that all soldiers went through, and then we were sent to major command centers across the United States, wherein we were then tested uh, physically, mentally, emotionally as to our capabilities to be pilots. My aspiration was to be a single-engine fighter pilot, And this I achieved. Uh, I felt very lucky, but it caused me to model and structure my life that I might be ready if the moment in time ever came. And at Pearl Harbor, of course, it came. I felt fortunate to have passed the initial tests and be classified for pilot training. I was sent from Miami Beach in basic training to Kelly Field, Texas, one of the dream places of fighters of way back in time. And I finished up at Eagle Pass, Texas in the Air Force. Subsequently, a transition on the P-40, which was our transition to an active fighter. And my class essentially was designated for P-47s, which meant combat would be in Europe. Subsequently, after graduation, I was trained in the P-47 in New Jersey, in Connecticut, Washington, D.C. area. And from there, we traveled on ship to continent Europa. And there in England, we were given orders that took us to the continent where we were assigned to various groups of the 9th Air Force. And I joined us group which was called the 365th Hellhawks and the aircraft that we flew was typically called a Thunderbolt. It was indeed a Thunderbolt because it would outdive any fighter aircraft in the world at that time at which going into our dives with our bomb and bomb load and strafing with our guns and so forth we attempted to be ahead of ground fire. That meant we wanted to be doing about 550 to 600 miles an hour when we were initially down on our target so that we were at less risk of being shot down. This turned out to be a very good number. And as such, in combat, we didn't lose that many pilots. The worst mission that I ever flew in combat was uh, a scheduling that had never 
happened in my time with the group, the 365th Hellhawks. Eight of us went in, two flights of four. We were based in the northwest corner of Germany, Aachen, and we flew all the way into Germany to an area right south of Berlin. And I'm trying to remember what that uh, city was called, but we hit that city at dusk, and our target was the airport. They didn't know that we were coming. Why? Because all the hangar lights were on, and the uh, whole hangar area was lit up, almost like daytime. We had come in at 12,000 feet and uh, began our typical dives down, single file, and one of the pilots before me went down, and he was getting fire that I had never seen before. Not only was the whole sky, it seemed like, lit up, but we could see all the tracers coming up, knowing that there were three bullets in between each tracer. And it was 88 millimeter, it was 20 millimeter, and it was 50 millimeter that was coming up as we were diving in. My friend was yelling and screaming on the microphone. He'd been hit. We could see a big bulge of oil, smoke going out the rear. And as I went in, I thought, this is where I get it. Uh, I will not survive this flight. And I was scared, very scared. I was dumping the stick and the rudders and doing all kinds of motions. And the time came then for my bombs to be released, my 50 calibers to be doing their destruction on the ramp. And I was glad to get out of there. And thank the Lord, I made it. That was the most horrifying mission of my 48 that I flew. My friend did survive. He was picked up by an advanced party. I must admit that flying combat was a very emotional activity. Most fighter pilots were scared, and you recognized it when you got into a combat situation. The there was an emotional aspect which I have only more recently admitted, which was I actually enjoyed what I was doing. I don't know a fighter pilot that didn't. When it was over and you faced reality, uh, not all your emotions and so forth, there was this emotion which had been built up over the years in which I said, you know, I'm an addicted pilot. There's nothing I love more in activity today than flying. You can say, we'll go to the Bahamas. Yes, that's enjoyable. Been to the Bahamas a number of times, flying there with my family and various types of aircraft and enjoying all the flying and so forth. But I actually enjoyed flying in World War II. I, I, I just didn't enjoy it. I loved it. It was the epitome of what I had always wanted or and or wanted to do. I was glad it came at my time and my youth that I could realize what had really been initially a dream. I, I just regret uh, it, it has to do with one's heartstrings. Um, 
several years ago, I met this lady who wrote a book that was a book about an escape from Prussia, where she was living with her parents, German, and they escaped ahead of the Russians. They were on the southeast corner of Dresden overnight, waiting to board a train to Berlin, and subsequently on up to the Baltic, get away from the battle itself for Germany. They, they stopped there. They had walked and train and carts and whatever else, getting that far to the southeast corner of Dresden. But they were bombing Dresden that day. Well, that bombing and the area just north of Dresden, because that was our sector, we were doing what we always did, which was strafing trains and anything else that moved or things that didn't move. And they escaped from Dresden to Berlin. And this lady happens to be a very pretty woman today. And when I saw her book reviewed in The Village of the Sun, I said, I've got to meet this person. And she's a lovely lady, pretty. And she was just over a year of age at that time. And then she had older siblings, but they rode the train out of there. And I realized that I personally, or my group, or subsequent groups in northern, more northern sectors could have killed this family. And this is a beautiful lady today. She has a beautiful family here in Leesburg. And to me, this is, uh, it was very emotional meeting this lady. I didn't realize until I walked in and saw her. And said, you know, I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm thinking, you know, it's a child that I'm going to meet. It. You know, a child couldn't write this book. But when she wrote the book, it was about areas and so forth, which I was very familiar with my group. And I realized they got out of there by train. And here's this lovely lady today. I could have been the one. I could push it into one that killed she and her family. And in the book, she describes, again, from her mother's story of the retreat from Prussia, that they were strafed and the mother put them underneath of all the seats. And then it brought back the memory that the Germans had some revenge for that because when we retreated ourselves back to ports on the Atlantic coast, we rode a street that we had strafed and the seats were all splintered. <laughs> and I thought they got their revenge. <laughs> I guess it really wasn't humorous, but better laugh about it than cry about it. But that, <laughs> that to me was so funny how they got back at us. And we took those trains, one or other of them, all the way back to, in our case, um, Antwerp, where we boarded ships for the United States. Later, took trips, uh, three trips back to Germany, visit, revisited my old fighter base uh, that Luftwaffe had moved into. Met a couple of colonels there, which were wonderful hosts, letting me drive back and forth over the base at Fritzlar. And my family treated us to lunch at the officers' club that we had come to know so well. I've learned to love Germany, Austria, by subsequent trips over there, and um, all is well. Uh, I'm glad that now we were, are united with these European countries and um, I've been able to see them on the ground 
And one of the things I always wanted to do in my reserve training was to fly jets, uh, get checked out in a jet. And the only thing I've ever been able to fly in was a trainer, the T-33. I had a uh, two weeks at Patrick Air Force Base in 1953, and I went down to the ops to get an aircraft to fly for a couple of hours. And um, when I got the ops, uh, there was a captain there who said something about, you come to get an airplane? And I said, yes. He says, well, I'm going out, uh, going out in T-33. Oh, sounds good. And he said, um, would you like to go along? And I said, oh, I sure would. So he said, well, what did you fly? I said, P-47s. He said, put it there. So we had a big handshake. He says, let's go. <laughs> so we did. And we, before Disney World and so forth, we went over the state of Florida doing all kinds of things, loops and rolls. And wow, there's much more an airplane than a P-47. <laughs> And then it wasn't too much later until um, I got my orders that I could was go on active duty, but no flying at this period. And that's what it was for the rest of my career, which I regret very much. But the one thing out of this that I enjoy was, even though I was told in Korea to get my effects in order while I was still at Langley, they uh, never sent the orders. And I never went to Korea, and here I am speaking. So I'm, I know that I'm still alive, and um, I didn't get shot down in Korea. <laughs> so that uh, there's sometimes justice and so forth, and you know, not getting the orders and all that sort of thing. But the big thing is like at Fritzlar, the day after D-Day, walking down to the hangar to our squadron hut and all the guys in the squadron. I typically went over there, first mission of the day, right from the breakfast at the Oak Club, and we reported in. And that day, I was the only pilot after breakfast walking over to the hangar. And I see all this mass of three squadrons of P-47s on the ramp. Everything was static. And I remember that so well and I realized that war was over. There would be no further missions. Then I could come home. Mike Cannon flew for the 386 Air Force Squadron towards the end of the war from January to September of 1945. Today he's 91 years old, but definitely does not look or sound his age. Mike is building an RV-12, which was almost done at the time of this interview. The RV-12 isn't Mike's first airplane project, but he says it's probably going to be his last. Because flying, it's already, you know, the airplane's already there. I didn't do anything. I have nothing of the satisfaction and the feeling of creating this beautiful thing called an airplane. And this way, I have. Yes, it's taken me a long time to build it. And I've been putting a little bit of time, a little time, and of course more and more now. But essentially, it is the biggest chunk of therapy that I could have been doing. You can check out pictures of Mike's P-47 named Hauling Ass, as well as some more information about his experiences by going to the article on thelogbookpodcast.com.
Our interview with Mike included many other stories and great dialogue that we just couldn't fit into this episode. So if you can't get enough of these stories, you should check out our Patreon page and consider supporting. There you can have access to unedited interviews, sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, and even listen to finished episodes a week before they're released. This podcast isn't free to produce, and your support over on Patreon is what makes this show possible and ad-free. Please consider supporting us. Any amount is helpful. Even $1 per episode can help make the show better. You can check out our Patreon page by going to patreon.com slash thelogbookpodcast, or by clicking on the orange banner in our website. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps bring awareness to the logbook. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of The Logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in The Logbook.